Today in the Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message from Luke 19. Think about Zacchaeus. Great big house, piles of money, no friends, no respect, lonely. Because as we all know, money can't buy you happiness, can it? And Zacchaeus was living out that truth. He knew something was missing. Zacchaeus was a man whose encounter with Jesus led to a great change in his perspective on money. In a demonstration of repentance, he vowed to give half of his wealth to the poor and repay fourfold anyone he had defrauded. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, senior pastor and Bible teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Today, Pastor Steve explores the transformative impact of Zacchaeus' story with a message called, Money, a Little Man, and Jesus. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Now, here's Pastor Steve. So as you turn to Luke 19, which is our text, it begins by saying this, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now we'll stop right there. Let's identify who the he is. In the Gospels, if it's just he, it's a really good guess that it's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the he, and it says that he was passing through Jericho. Now Jericho is a famous place from the Old Testament. You remember Joshua uh, fought the battle of Jericho and all that Israel did there. Uh, Jericho is one of the oldest cities in antiquity, an ancient fortress. Uh, and also, Jericho is in the Jordan Valley. And if you uh, take a look at a geographical map, a topographical map of, uh, of the Middle East, you'll see that there is this flat valley in a predominantly mountainous area where the Jordan River flowed from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. And so if you, were, if you were walking from north to south or from south to north, the rest of the country is very hilly, but the Jordan Valley is flat. And so would you rather walk through Indiana or Colorado? Now that's an easy choice, isn't it? And so Jesus is choosing Indiana, the Indiana walk down the Jordan Valley, and he is passing through. But wait, there's somebody that he wanted to meet here. Look at verse two. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now here we have the infamous Zacchaeus. If you don't know about Zacchaeus and your kids are in the children's ministry, just ask them, they'll sing you a song the famous Zacchaeus, and we find here Luke including three details about this fellow. First of all, it says he was a chief tax collector. Now this is very important to the story, and when it came to tax collecting, the Romans were brilliant, and the way that they collected taxes, the way they financed their whole imperial kingdom was that they had a network of tax collectors throughout the entire Roman Empire. These were primarily local residents who worked for the Romans. And their job was to collect the taxes from the local residents and to pass them on up the chain up to, uh, up to Rome. Well, uh, the rules regarding how they did this 
were rather loose. The Romans didn't, frankly, care that much about how they got their money as long as they got their money. And so with that lax rules then, the Roman IRS agents had great freedom to basically operate the way that they wanted to operate, which of course was fertile ground for massive corruption, massive uh, fraud, and the abuse of power that they had to extort money from the local residents and to skim money off the top, which is exactly what uh, they would do. And so in the social ladder, guess who were the bottom of the barrel? It was the tax collectors. They were thought of essentially as being thieves, uh, scoundrels, and traitors. And why were they considered that? Well, they worked for the Romans. And the Romans were the ones who had invaded the country. And they were the ones that were, you know, dominating and exerting power in land that the Jews thought was their land that God had given to them. And so to work for the Romans was really to be the bottom of the barrel. I mean, that was, that was the Benedict. They were the Benedict Arnolds. They were the traitors. I can't believe that any good Jew would take money from Jews and give it to the Romans. And added to that was the fact that because of this corruption, these tax collectors became personally wealthy. And everybody knew that the wealth that they had had been extorted from them. So did that make them particularly popular? No, not at all. Not at all. Now, interestingly, on top of this, notice that it says that he was not simply a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. It's the only place in the New Testament this word is used, and it means that Zacchaeus was not just your run-of-the-mill tax collector. He was the, he was the top dog. And we know from history that in Israel, there were three centers where all of the tax dollars from the whole country uh, channeled in Capernaum in the north and in the south in Jerusalem and in Jericho, which means that supposedly almost a third of all of the tax revenue from the entire country passed through Zacchaeus's fingers. You want to talk about a place to be if you just want to have a lot of money, to be the chief tax collector in one of three locations that had all of the tax money. Now that's a place that you could get rich. And indeed, he was very rich. So do not think of this guy as being, you know, your very upright IRS agent. And I did not mean that as a joke, but you can laugh if you want. Uh, this is, this is, think John Gotti, think Tony Soprano. This is the head mobster of a, of a tax cartel that was famous for its corruption, for its uh, favoritism, for it picking out who it wanted to extort from and who it didn't. This is not a man who got this position because of his perfect Sunday school attendance, Okay. He was ambitious, he was greedy, and he was corrupt. He was a traitor to his own people. The last thing that Luke highlights is probably the thing that Zacchaeus is famous for, uh, and that is that he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. 
He was a hobbit. When you realize, when you get a lot of people together and the ground is flat, and I mean, it's, it's you know, 25 people deep, what can you see? Especially if you are a hobbit. You can't see anything. And Zacchaeus did not become the head of the tax cartel uh, by not being a resourceful guy. He was creative, if anything. And so Zacchaeus desperately wants to see Jesus. There's a massive crowd. Jesus is passing through town. He can't see anything. And so what does he do? Notice verse four. He ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now here in this part of the story, there is so much raw human experience. I mean, I think that you know, we don't know Zacchaeus' spiritual background. He was a Jew, so presumably he was raised as a Jew. He was raised in the Jewish teachings, raised like all the others. Yet clearly, at some point in his life, he had turned away from the God of Israel. He had turned to corruption. He had turned to fraud. And his life had been dominated by um, you know, just all of that mess. Now, we know that John the Baptist ministered in this area. It's possible that he might have heard John the Baptist preach. He might have heard about this Jesus of Nazareth and his miracles. He might have heard even of some of Jesus' teachings. What we definitely know is that there was a spiritual curiosity that was in his heart. And maybe you can relate to that here today. Maybe there is a curiosity. You've come to church. There's, you're not in a tree, but you're in church, and you're wondering, why do, I, why do I have this longing? Why is there clearly something missing in my life? We see in Zacchaeus this stirring, don't we? It says in verse 4, he ran on ahead. That's not the actions of a, of a wealthy, aristocratic sort of guy. There he goes, he lifts up his expensive cloak and he runs. He gets to the tree and he climbs the tree. Now I'm going to guess most of us have probably climbed a tree in our lives. But do you see a lot of adults up in trees? I don't see adults up in trees very much. And yet there goes Zacchaeus climbing the tree. Why would he run? Why would he climb a tree? I don't think it's that hard, is it, to really understand the pain of this man? He was a human being who long ago had sold his money or sold his soul to money and to power. He was uh, greedy, and that greed was greater than his sense of patriotism as a Jew. It was greater than his desire to be respected by his friends. It was greater than his desire to be respected by his family. He threw out his Jewishness. He threw out his family. He threw out his friends so that he could have the almighty dollar. He became obsessed with money. 
in the, in the, the, the accumulating of money and power and the things that money could buy. Let me ask you, who brings cookies to a tax collector's house? Who stops by and says, hey, how's it going at the tax collector's house? And yet we know he was very wealthy and very powerful. So think about Zacchaeus. Great big house, piles of money, no friends, no respect, lonely. Because as we all know, money can't buy you happiness, can it? And Zacchaeus was living out that truth. He knew something was missing. But he very much wanted to see Jesus. The text says that Jesus walks by the sycamore tree. Now there's people all around him. It's not easy if you're Jesus to see out very much because people are pressing in and everyone's grabbing and saying and talking and wanting to be near him. And yet he walks by and there up in a tree is an adult man. And the text says that he says, Zacchaeus, hurry down for I must stay at your house today. The emphasis of that word there, notice it says that I must stay at your house today. It's a little odd. You'd expect him to say, hey, I'd like to stay at your house today. Or, hey, would you mind if I came over for dinner? He doesn't say that. And the Greek word there is an interesting word. It's a strong word. It's not, I'd like to stay at your house. I have to stay at your house. It's almost as if Jesus wasn't merely passing through Jericho to pass through Jericho on his way somewhere else, but that he actually went to Jericho to meet one certain guy, the most despised man in all the whole town, to meet the chief tax collector and to stay at his house. The text here says that Zacchaeus is overjoyed. I wonder how long it has been since anybody said to Zacchaeus, I'd like to come over to your house. I'll bet it's been a long time. And yet here's Jesus. This is the guy, everybody's like, hey, come to my house, come to my house, come over to my shop. Can I give you some bread? Can I give you some food? What can I do for you? Come heal, come to my house and, feed, and heal my daughter. Come over here and take care of the, hey, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Everyone's grabbing, talking, wanting a piece of him. And he doesn't go to any of their house. He goes to the house of the most notorious sinner in town. And the text says that when Jesus says, I'd like to go to your house, all the townspeople are like, what is he doing going to the house of a sinner? Everybody knows what kind of guy he is. Why is he going there? And they grumbled against Jesus for doing it. Zacchaeus receives him with joy. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also, he being Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man, key verse, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is quite a scene. The Son of God is at the house of the traitor and the most notorious sinner in town. 
There they are. We don't know if they're eating, had already eaten. He might have spent the night. It's the next morning. We don't know when it was. But in that moment, all of a sudden, Zacchaeus stands up. And the sense of that is that this is formality. I have something official that I want to say. I'm standing up. And what he has to say, it's no passing comment here. He Basically, he confesses his sin and makes two vows as signs of his repentance. First, he gives half of all that he has to the poor. Now remember, Zacchaeus was a guy who had a lot, didn't he? And yet he gives half of it to the poor. That's no small commitment. Secondly, if I have defrauded, and any Jew that would have at the time been reading this story would have gone, if, (laughs) everybody knew The only way you get rich when you're a tax collector is not off the salary. It's off the skimming and the extortion and the fraud. He had defrauded many people. And he says, if I have defrauded anyone, I give it back fourfold. Four times what I have taken, I will give back. You know, the Old Testament law had, there was a law that if you've defrauded somebody, you have to make restitution plus 20%. And yet Zacchaeus says, He doesn't go to the law. He blows the law out of the water. Look what grace does to rules, okay? Look what grace does to rules. And Jesus' response here is that Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham. In other words, he is a true son of faith. And then he adds this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus is held up as the kind of person that Jesus came to save. He didn't come to save the townspeople, Uh, Let me retract that a second. In a sense, he did. But the heart attitude required to be saved is not what the townspeople displayed in saying, we're better than him, I can't believe they're going to his house, but rather it is those who know they need a savior. And that is why the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the fringe people of the day were the ones that gravitated towards Jesus and why he says to the Pharisees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. The sick need a doctor and they know it. And that's always been a requirement for anyone to be saved is that you have to believe that you need to be saved and that you cannot save yourself that you are a sinner, and that is brokenness, isn't it? That is why we come humbly to the Lord's Supper, because it reminds us that we are great sinners and Christ is a great Savior. It is the humility of sin that is the prerequisite to being an object of the salvation of this Savior. And Zacchaeus was a man who knew, who knew that he was a sinner, I wonder how many nights Zacchaeus would have been in that big house having counted his money again and thought to himself, is this all there is? Is this this it? Just money? How many times he must have thought to himself, what will satisfy the longing of my heart? I wonder about you today. I wonder if you can resonate with the ambitious Zacchaeus. Maybe you've had a little bit of success. Maybe there's some people that think you've done something. Maybe you think that you've done something. 
Maybe you have a little money. Maybe you have letters behind your name. Maybe you've risen up in your company. And yet, there is something missing. That was Zacchaeus. I wonder, would you climb a tree to maybe find what your soul was longing for? Now, don't misread this to say that in order to be saved, you have to give away half of all that you have, and you have to uh, make restitution for everything that you've done wrong. That is not at all what this is saying. Salvation, the testimony of Jesus, and the, the whole story of the Bible is that we don't do anything to be saved. We don't earn our salvation. It is entirely by faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the story. He wasn't saved because he did these things. Rather, Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house because Jesus came to Zacchaeus' heart. May I say that again? Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house because Jesus came to Zacchaeus' heart. And like so many other people in this story and down through the years and in this room right now, our story is the same. We have come we have met Jesus in the gospel. We believe that he is the Savior and the Son of God. All of our hope and trust is in him. We believed. And Zacchaeus believed. The power of this story is the effect that this new relationship with Jesus had on Zacchaeus. Money had always been his idol. It had always been his obsession. He had he had basically given up all the other things in his life in order to have money. And again, I wonder if that might sound familiar to you. Of all the idols in this world, and there are many of them, I would have to say, especially in our culture, money is at the top. Now, the Bible doesn't say that there's anything wrong with money. Money is neutral. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. And that was Zacchaeus' lifestyle. And I think Zacchaeus would fit in quite well around here, don't you think? You put him in any corporation or any place really in the American society, he looks a lot like everybody else who are trying desperately to find meaning and significance in the accumulation of things. While money is neutral, where money sits in our priorities, reveals who is our God. You're listening to The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt and a message titled, Money, a Little Man, and Jesus. Remember, you can replay your favorite messages from the Living a Generous Life series online at thejourney.fm. On our website, you'll also find articles and other practical resources designed to help you grow in your faith and live it out each and every day. And if you're looking for an easy way to listen to The Journey on the go, well then subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app, such as Apple, Google, or Spotify, for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Well, today the story of Zacchaeus reminded us that a heart encountered by Christ should result in a radical shift in our relationship with money, prompting a commitment to use wealth for the well-being of others. And that's why we're so thankful for our supporters, listeners who give generously to keep the journey on the air. Because of you, we're able to share God's word with listeners around the country through the radio and web. 
helping people meet God where they're at in life. So would you give a special year-end gift today? You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or make a donation online at thejourney.fm. As a thank you for your generous gift, we'd like to send you Randy Alcorn's timely book on generosity. It's titled The Treasure Principle. In this book, readers are moved from the realms of thoughtful Bible exposition into the highly personal and practical arena of everyday life. Discover how joyful giving brings God maximum glory and his children maximum pleasure. Request your copy today. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us tomorrow when Pastor Steve concludes today's message about money, a little man, and Jesus. That's Thursday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.